Good morning. Uh, the scripture reading for this morning is from Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, from the New Living Translation. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives as, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The word of the God, of the Lord. Thank you, Fred. This is my husband, Fred the Elder. So we have Fred the Elder, and I am Susanna the Younger. So, yes, my name is Susanna Atkins, and, man, it is my privilege to be here this morning as an example of God's hilarious sense of humor, because I am going to be talking to you about submission. Submission? It says loved. What, what? I didn't come here for submission. Ah, classic Christian bait and switch. Okay, so for those of you who know me, please stifle your laughter. For those of you who don't, well, by the end of this you will, so you can laugh then. So this morning, we hit one of the major landmines in all of the Pauline epistles, the issue of submission. And it's not just for married couples. So husbands, stop nudging your wives. Wives, stop rolling your heads around going, not again. But it's also for singles. So stop scrolling through your Gmail and put your phones away. It's my desire that this talk today be for all of us. We started our reading with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now verse 21 is a continuation of previous 
verses that talked about the reliance on the Holy Spirit in order to live a true Christian life, as Paul had been explaining in chapters 4 and 5. So that's why you see it says, and further, this is sort of the capstone piece on all of these wonderful directives on how to live in a way that would please God. So he ends it with saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But right off the bat, we see that submission is not just a directive to wives, but to all believers in order to show their reverence to Christ. Now, you've got to remember that Paul wrote this as a letter, not as a book with chapters. There were no breaks like you have in most Bibles. It's all one piece. However, in many translations, including the one in your pew Bible, you're going to see a break between verse 21 and the remaining verses in that chapter. And it usually has a heading, something like husbands and wives. Now, before we take a look at those verses, let me give you a brief overview of the culture in which Paul was writing this letter. The Ephesian church was a real mix of people and beliefs. You had Jewish men who would wake up every morning thanking God they weren't created to be a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And they considered their wives to be their possessions. You had Greek women who were influenced by the hunter fertility goddess Artemis. And they would spend time in the temple before they would get married, where they would be educated and groomed to be spiritual leaders. So what we have here in very broad brushstrokes are men who were used to dominating and women who didn't like to be dominated. What better way to show the power of God and the glorious unity in Christ than through a marital relationship in which a wife did not try to dominate her husband and a husband cared for his wife as for his own body. So it's important to see that Paul's command for wives to submit to their husbands derives from this prior command for believers to submit one to another, the reverence for Christ, which is why it says in verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, before we get caught up and all of that stuff about women in submission. Let's take a look at what the word actually means. The English word submit is hupotasso in the Greek. And it's a military term that means for someone to put themselves under the authority of another. Paul is using it here to convey the voluntary attitude of a wife, acknowledging her husband's leadership of the family but in ultimate obedience to God's ordained order of husband, wife, Christ, husband, and wife. So I can sum it all up this way. Paul instructs wives to submit and husbands to die. Husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved and died for the church. We're talking major sacrificial love here, way beyond taking out the garbage or playing with the kids. 
But the problem is, many times, husbands feel their wives need to submit first, and then they will give them their love. And many times, wives feel their husbands need to deserve their submission and withhold it until they see a change in behavior. This is not sacrificial love. This is tit for tat. This is quid pro quo. Submission and sacrificial love imply taking on the mindset of a servant. Instead of expecting others to care for you and your needs, you look out for and seek to meet the needs of others. Submission and sacrifice. Impossible without being filled by the Spirit. Okay, singles, your turn, okay? What does submission look like for the rest of us? Well, I was thinking about this, and I got this image in my mind of two Christians standing outside of a doorway. And the first would say, oh, please, after you. And the other Christian would say, oh, no, 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 after you. And the first one would say, no, after you. The second one would go, no, after you. And then they would both try to go through the doorway at the same time and get stuck. Okay? So maybe the best way of explaining the way that submission works is by telling you what the major obstacle is. Now, this is a key takeaway, so you may want to write this down. I know better. I know better. I do. Right, Fred? I know better, right? Submission is not giving in. Okay, I'll do it your way, but I know mine is better. Submission is not passive aggression. Okay, I'll do it your way, but not wholeheartedly. Submission is not something that you try to get something out of. Okay, I'll do it your way, but only if it benefits me. And most of all, submission is not, okay, I'll do it your way, but when it doesn't work, I'm going to tell everybody that it would have worked if you had done it my way in the first place. (laughs) So let's take a look at what true submission is through the life of Jesus and the example he sets for us. Christ lived a submissive life in so many different ways. First off, he submitted to God, his Father, by even coming down to earth in this lowly human form. He obeyed his parents. He worked as a carpenter and had clients who probably had very specific ideas about the products that he was building for them. He submitted to John, baptizing him. He obeyed the secular government by obeying the laws and paying taxes. He allowed women to care for his financial needs towards the end of his ministry. He let Judas betray him. He let the soldiers arrest and torture him. He submitted to Pilate and his verdict after a mock trial in which he ultimately submitted to a painful, horrifying death on the cross. In fact, the only two things I don't see Jesus submitting to in any of the Gospels is Satan and death. Those he overcame. The very essence of a Christ-like character is submission one to another. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. Submission is something you give from your heart. It can't be demanded of you. Submission is more than a change in behavior. It's a yielded will. Remember, you are not submitting to that person as much as you are to God. And you are trusting that God will work not only through that person, but through that situation to his greater glory. So wives, our goal shouldn't be to get our husbands to do what we want. We need to release them into God's hands so God will get them to do what he wants. And husbands, your goal shouldn't be to have a wife who's going to take care of all your needs. That's not going to (laughs) happen. Not on earth or even in eternity. It should be your prayer that God would show you what her specific needs are and then fill you with his spirit so you can meet them with tender love and protection. Hey, you know, everybody, it's only when we accept our roles as spirit-filled Christians that we will, in all humility, value each other better than ourselves. And as my favorite writer Stormy O'Mardian says, something gets won in the heavenlies every time we submit. I'd like to close with a personal testimony about a particularly long-term and difficult issue of submission. And it didn't have anything to do with Fred. (laughs) It had to do with me and Rwanda. Now, I've been here at Trinity since 2004 when the Rwanda ministry first got started. When people would come back, they'd be all excited and glowing. Oh, you gotta go, you gotta go. The kids are so cute, they're so lovable. Oh, you gotta go. I'm not a kid person, you know. And then I would cringe as I saw the pictures of the house building team throwing mud at each other and standing knee deep in this muck. I don't get my hands dirty. In fact, I actually took an F in a college teaching class because I refused to finger paint. I mean, that's what Rwanda was to me. Kids and mud. Then, in 2010, I was facilitating the 20 women's Bible study. That's a mouthful. And two of the ladies had said they were going to go on the trip. So I thought, oh, okay, why don't I let them get up and tell us what they were going to do? Sarah Page said that in addition to mud throwing and kid kissing, they were going to roll out the global alpha training for the pastors in our villages. Oh, well, isn't that nice? (laughs) Then I very clearly heard a voice behind my right ear that said, go to Rwanda. What? God? Are you crazy? It's the end of July. The trip is at the beginning of September. I don't even have enough time to raise my support. And my passport expired. So submission for me kind of looked like, okay, God, if you want me to go, you're going to have to work out the details. So my new passport got lost. Guess I'm not going. 
new passport arrived via FedEx the night before we left. Okay, I guess I'm going. So I went to Rwanda, I taught pastors, and I studiously avoided children and dirt. So we have our first picture up here, guys. This is um, proof I went. I call this my Where's Waldo picture. And if you look hard enough, I'm sure you're going to be able to find me. God, this, this picture brings back such memories. I, I really want to tell you um, a moment as to why Rwanda has been such a, a difficulty for me. So this was a very old Episcopal church that had a tin roof. Now, we were there in September, and it rained a lot. Normally, we go in July, which is the dry season. But this particular September, every single afternoon at 2 o'clock, the skies would open up and it would pour. So you would have this rain just beating down on top of this tin roof. And it was so loud, you couldn't hear yourself think. And then we're up there trying to teach, and we had these rinky-dink little microphones in order to do all this teaching. And it was really just, am I having any impact at all? So the teaching was over, and we were heading out. And actually, I think we were heading out to have this picture taken when one of the pastors came over to me, and he grabbed my arm, and he said, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I just kind of looked at him, and I said, of, of, of course I forgive you. God forgives you. We all forgive you. And in that moment, Rwanda became painfully real for me. Now, I didn't come home from something like that, all excited and glowing. I came home privately swearing I was never going to go back. It's like Sarah said a few weeks ago when she was up here. Rwanda so challenged my comfort zone it found places I didn't even know could get uncomfortable. Go to Rwanda. I went again to teach in 2013 and 2014. But honestly, I still wasn't getting what everybody else was getting. So when 2015 rolled around, I said, uh-uh, forget it. Nope, I gave it the office. Uh, my brother-in-law was dying at the time. And Fred and I moved in with my sister in order to take care of him. Hey, that was my out. But on top of that, I broke my foot in London at the Global Alpha Conference. Now, there was no way anybody was going to expect me to go to Rwanda, right? Go to Rwanda. God, what could you possibly think I could do in Rwanda with a broken foot? Show the next picture. <laughs> he could sit me down with my butt in the dirt with women and children. 
he could have me show them pictures of my home, my family, our church, to give them an idea of what life in New York City was like. Can you imagine? I mean, they're living in these villages with dirt huts, and I'm showing them 31st Street in Astoria with the tr overhead train and all the traffic, you know, and construction, and they just could not put this together. I remember uh, one of the years I went, I, I went and I met the family of one of my World Vision kids. The mother asked, how do you cook your food? And I couldn't quite explain a stove to her because they don't have electricity. I mean, I'm so dumb that that first year that I went, I was hoping to buy refrigerator magnets for all of my donors, and then I realized they don't have refrigerators. <laughs> so I realized that God had me there to be with women who were clucking their tongues and laughing at me because one of their kids peed in my lap. God had me there to wrestle with his will. Well, the wrestling continued into my fifth trip in 2016. As I sat in the back of the van with these Trinity volunteers who were singing and laughing hysterically like they were on some sort of a school trip, I would look out the window and ask God, why am I here I thought 2016 was going to be my final trip. I couldn't go in 2017 or 2018 due to work. I figured I was finally done with my white-collar missionary work. However, when the Rwanda ministry rolled out this year's appeal in the fall, something extraordinary happened. I saw the notice in the bulletin, and my heart nearly leapt out of my chest. Go to Rwanda? Yeah, I want to go to Rwanda. Go to Rwanda? I said, okay, can I go to Rwanda? As the video started playing, I broke down in tears. I missed these people. I wanted to see the women in our villages again. I realized that I had seen these people more in the last couple of years than I had seen my actual extended family in the United States. Something had changed. Here's what I want to leave with you as the ultimate takeaway for this talk. All those years of submission broke through all the crud of my self-will, my way, I know better, and just opened me up to the love of God that just flooded through me. I am loved, and I want you to know that submission opens us to the love of our wives, our husbands, our fellow believers. But more important, critically, submission opens us 
to the love of God. Thank you. Okay, James.